This is the DTV Digest, the podcast that brings you news and reviews of films which didn't make it to the cinema. And now, here's your host, Mike Parkin. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the DTV Digest, the podcast which brings you reviews of films which didn't make it to the cinema and instead went straight to DVD, Blu-ray, or streaming media. I'm your host, Mike Parkin, and joining me this week are Richard Hawes. Hello, everybody. And Stephen Lockridge. Hello. This week's show, we are going to kick off with Fukushima 50. Uh, Then we've got The Stylist. Then two Hellraiser films, Hellraiser Revelations and Hellraiser Judgment. Then we have the new film uh, Shadowland. Our short shot is going to be decommissioned. And our DTV throwback is Back to Even, starring Michael Pare and Lorenzo Lamas. So without further ado, let's crack on. Our first review then is Fukushima 50. This is the dramatization of the Fukushima uh, nuclear power plant disaster, depicting the heroic men and women who stood by their posts to try and divert a national catastrophe. Um, Rich, I I must admit, uh, you know, not a lot. There's not a lot of spectacle in this film, but it is very riveting all the same. Yeah, uh, the, the spectacle when it when it happens is highly impactful. Like we uh, do you remember, we had the um, uh, was it the Beirut explosion mm. last last yeah. year? Uh, there's several moments in this film that have that impact. It's like that sudden. Uh, you know, you kind of know it's happening, but it's still you know is. You know, it knocks you back. It's like, whoa, geez. You know, I think it's very well played. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a very, very good, very engaging film with a really solid cast. Yeah. So this this is actually based on a book, which is the, um, I think it's, it's actually called the Inside Story of Fukushima, um, it, and it sort of depicts the events as they happen. So so earthquake happens, which um, you know knocks out the power. So I have to put in a Go, go to their backup diesel generator, but then a su- tsunami hits, which sort of floods that room, which knocks that out. So all of a sudden, they've got no uh, uh, no way of cooling the water uh, around the um, you know the, the heated rods, and you know they, they're struggling to sort of divert a disaster. And, and basically, you know, they're having to ask for volunteers to sort of go into these reactor rooms and uh, you know open valves and stuff. When, when you can sort of visibly see, you know, stuff is basically melting around them as they're sort of trying to do it. it it's it's harrowing, you know, really that, um, you know, uh, how how things happened. Yeah, and what what's partic- what's particularly impactful is that there is no exposition at the start. It is literally it starts as soon as the film starts. So that the 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 um, the tsunami is sort of kick the earthquake. Sorry, happens. And then it's a it's a timed countdown, so they give the the timestamps as various things go on. But it, you know, we're not introduced to any of the characters before they go to work and all this sort of stuff, mm-hmm. as you would expect. That's in an a, American, in, yeah, Hollywood one, yeah. Yeah, it's like I mean, I haven't deep, I haven't seen Deep Water Horizon, but I should imagine that's what that film does. Um, mm-hmm. But because that's usually the way these things go in uh, disaster movies, uh, whether mm-hmm. they're based on true events or not. But uh, yeah, it's it just it just starts boom. And you've got to keep up. You've, you're being introduced to all these characters. They're getting like the names coming up on the screen um, in you know that 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 style that you 
yeah. that you're not particularly fond of in 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 other types of films, but in this type <laughs> oh, yeah, of film, I think it's sort of actually... docudrama kind of thing. Yeah, it's it's, it's yeah, important, you, and we're dealing with real is. people. Yeah, you know. Uh, the problem is, it's hard to remember any of that information yeah. as you're going along. But uh, yeah, the uh, so it it all kicks off basically straight away. And what what struck me about it was, and whether this is a like a genre bias, you know, kind of you know experience uh, thing is. You can't, I couldn't not think of Godzilla. And mm. it was like, this is Godzilla, but without Godzilla, this is like the real thing. This is yeah. because what I always thought was Godzilla, well, what we've always known is Godzilla is representative of the power of nuclear. And, uh, and so here, Godzilla is essentially the power plant and they are trying to contain it. But not, and obviously not like a big spectacular go- Godzilla movie with um, him fighting monsters and stuff, but Shin Godzilla, the recent one, yeah, where yeah. it's all about the bureaucracy and, and the meeting rooms and stuff. Which That's is what was interesting about this is, is that a lot of it plays out over Zoom meetings, isn't it? So, so mm. you got like you got the prime minister and the cabinet, you know, sort of in, in Tokyo, um, and, and they're sort of able to sort of watch things in real time with um, mm-hmm. things going in the sort of control, basically two, two control rooms, isn't there, I think, in the uh, in Fukushima. Um, which is, yeah, you got the one inside and the one outside. Yeah, which sort of adds a real sort of interesting sort of dynamic to it all, you know, um, because, because and, and I suppose it helps sort of keep everything true to life, doesn't it? The fact that, you know, every, every, every part of this has probably been documented and saved, you know, uh, what, what actually happened. So, you know, it, it, it sort of keeps it grounded, I think, knowing that, you know, there is a true record out there. So... Yeah, and also re- mentioning the, um, I mean, obviously there's the Fukushima 50 who are the one, mm. who are the guys who were sort of mainly involved in it, but everyone's there, you know, it's huge, huge numbers of people all over the place. And the film goes to lengths to, you know, at moments to just do little cutaways where they show yeah. the the woman cleaning the toilets or, or mm. whatever, or, or a couple of people cleaning the toilets and, you know, cause the water's all been cut off and, you know, the, what yeah, the, the kind of situation is, it's, yeah. it's a little aside, but it's quite important to sort of bring the reality of the situation yeah. home. Well, and we also cut also... back to the, um, the residents who've been evacuated and stuff yeah. as well. Yeah. So we get all that as well. And obviously, you know, they, you know, a lot of them are families of the people, you know, still at the plant and things like that. Yeah. One one of the interesting things um, which I hadn't appreciated before is the is the amount of time this this film is spread over. It's about four days. You know mm-hmm. these these guys don't sleep. You know no. You know they're literally sort of on. They must be on the edge of their nerves all the way through. God knows how they got through it without yeah, sort of but, just you know dropping like flies. Well, that was one of the things. Is we've got um, Ken Watanabe mm. plays one of the main characters, which is again brings uh, brings that Godzilla kind of thing mm. in because obviously he was in the American remake and stuff in a similar kind of role really um, yeah. and but he's he's like he's the really bolshy sort of uh I, I guess I don't know plant manager or, mm. or something responsible for it overall on on site like site manager kind of thing and he's just getting really upset and annoyed the whole way through. He's just had enough. And there's a moment you'd, you'd, there's, they cut and they show his face and like how, mm. how tired he is. And at one yeah. point he literally just sits down and yeah. leans against the desk. Um, Cause you know, he just, he can't yeah. go on anymore at that point. Uh, there is a funny moment with him as well. When he sort of uh, asks one of the women who works with him and said, have you called your husband? 
and she's sort of going, oh no, don't worry. So me and my husband have got this, we've got this bond, you know, we, we don't, not everything like this, you know, we, we, we can sort of sense each other. And he's like, are you bragging? Are you bragging right now? <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> and it makes her laugh though, which is quite good. Got a chuckle out of me as well. So yeah, I mean, this, um, interestingly, last year I watched the China Syndrome, the uh, Jane Fonda and Michael Douglas and um, Jack Lemmon film from the seventies, yeah. um, and, and and there's some sort of similarities there, you know, um, sort of the way that plays out. Uh, within the control rooms and things like that. Um, I, I highly recommend the Chi China syndrome if you've not seen it, if you can get hold of it. But um, in this, they're also they also mention that they're worried about the China syndrome because and Chino and although Chernobyl, it, don't they? They mention yeah. Chernobyl as well. But although the China syndrome was a fiction, mm. it has gone into parlance as a re as like something mm. that is used in in like the terminology that, to represent like a a worst case scenario kind of meltdown situation Absolutely. because because that was uh, i think that was based on you know um, safety checks not being carried out properly and they sort of ignored mm -hmm. some something you know just oh we'll just do the same safety check we did last year you know use the same one we used last year and of course it sort of like hit a an ongoing problem but um yeah i mean the, the, sort of the issue here was the size of tsunami that you know they, they weren't expecting such a big wave to to come so far inshore get inside one of the buildings and, and knock their generators out otherwise you know they wouldn't have had so many problems but you know uh, it, it's it's quite clear from the film that you know um it would have been a much bigger disaster had it not been for the people you know just being professional and and staying calm and getting on with the job solving yeah and i like the fact that the film didn't i mean there is an i'm spartacus moment uh, which oh, is yeah, yeah. Uh, which is a bit melodramatic. Well, that was quite but funny are... because because that bit was almost like peer pressure, you know. Because when he yeah. when he goes, oh, I, don't, I need volunteers to go in with you know to go into the thing, and nobody puts their hand up. Yeah, and I like that. That's yeah. I like the reality yeah, of that. Right. Is like they are all real, really scared of what what's going to ha yeah. happen. But then he puts his hand up and says, "Okay, I just need one volunteer to come in with me." And then all of a sudden, they go, "Yeah, I'll come. I'll come. I'll come. Yeah. No, I'll come. I'll come." You know. <laughs> It's like shit. I don't want to be looked at like the one who's the coward, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that's about, I, I don't know if that's something about the the Japanese and the saving yeah. face kind of thing that's in, in their culture. So that, 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 or, as somebody else understands, oh, we've all got a we've all got a thing. Otherwise, we'll yeah. feel like we're letting letting ourselves down. Yeah. And, you know, or, or you see, I, can, I can, can believe it from from Japan or South Korea. I can certainly believe that happening. You know, because they have that sort of amazing sort of work ethics sort of built into them. You know, um, if it was, if this was again, if this was an American production, that whole scene would have like been incredibly schmaltzy and yeah. you know overdone. But yeah, now this, yeah, this I think even the... in like even in Japan and other you know Asian sort of disaster themed films, mm. you know melodrama is the key. You know, it's like yeah. um, it's all ensemble. It's all melodrama. I think even like the made-up stuff, like the rescue that I think you you said mm. you watched recently. Yeah, yeah. You know, melodrama. In I oh, know it's a Chinese film, but mm. you know it's a similar kind of thing in, in around sort of Asia as a whole, I think is uh, you would see that quite commonly. There's yeah, absolutely. But, but this but film the, is, but, is very restrained. Well, yeah. And, but what is interesting is you mentioned the rescue is the professionalism on the show is impeccable, but the melodrama sort of, you know, just lays it on thick sort of thing. So, so mm -hmm. every, everything that happens isn't, you know, it isn't a result of, 
someone not doing their job properly or anything like that. You know, mm. forbid, you know, it, it's, it's other stuff. But yeah, no, th- this this was really good, and you know, had a bit of a sort of um, a sad sort of coda at the end. You know, so it was quite a sort of melancholy sort of the way it ends. I think, but um, I th- and so it does sort of finish with some actual footage as well of um, them sort of rebuilding. You know, the the, the sea wall and things like that to hopefully make sure it doesn't happen again. Yeah, I wasn't sure if that was actually the the after or the before, you know, because it looked really, really old, mm. the footage. Yeah. Uh, and, <clears throat> well, it was the one thing I didn't like about it, and that mm. was the cutaways to the American embassy and the American soldiers. And then at one point, there's this American soldier, and he's like, oh, I remember my time in Japan. And, and then we get like a, a completely pointless yeah. Like thirty second or a minute flashback of him, you know, playing as a child with oh. a kite with another boy. And I, I don't remember. It's <laughs> just I'm, like I must, have zoomed, I must have zoned out that bit. Oh yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, it's the kind of scene you would zone out. Yeah. I mean, it was like I, 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 I turned to my brother after I was watching it, and I said, "Well, well that was odd." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know, you're mentioning the soldiers. That you know, there's a detachment of the sort of Japanese defense service there yeah. uh, who bring the um, the fire trucks to help out. Yeah. And at one point, Ken Watanabe's character sort of dismisses them and says, no, look, guys, thanks for your help, but I think you can get out of here. And then they turn around and go, we can't, we, you know, we, we can't leave you to defend this place by yourselves, which I thought was, uh, you know, a really nice moment. Just just really well played. So, yeah, this is this is really good stuff. It, it's it's not a bombastic-style disaster movie, but, it, you know, it's it's still quite harrowing. Um, you know, there's there's a lot at stake, a lot going on. Uh, you know, a lot of um, because you know throughout this ordeal, there's still aftershocks, there's still other stuff going on. Um, so so yeah, the, the, you know, it's, it's a busy two hours for sure. Um, yeah, and for and say certainly, some gives you food for thought. I mean, obviously, there's the threat of. Uh, the, the you know the threat of a because they say this could be ten times what Chernobyl was you know there's mm. massive stakes and it would destroy them and there are speculative visuals in the film of you know you know yeah. the, the, the 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 potential destruction that was avoided yeah, um, but as you know I live I mean we would never have a I don't think so we would never have a tsunami here but I live you know forty minutes away from a nuclear power plant mm. down here in Ken and you know. There's power plants. There's a lot of power plants oh, all across the, the UK. There's, there's yeah. a one. There one building down in um, on the southwest coast of the Hinkley Point. I can't remember what it's called now. Um, but yeah, uh, but it was a burner on Crouch, something like that. Anyway, but it certainly brings you know nuclear power, nuclear energy or whatever. You know, we mm. get a lot out of it, and it's like you know um, one of the most beneficial fuel types. But if it goes wrong. It the stakes really are on. huge. <laughs> it's, 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 it's pretty, it's pretty interesting stuff. Good food for thought. Uh, I highly recommend it. I think yeah. it's, uh, it's well worth seeing, especially if you haven't seen Shin Godzilla, do a double bill, I'd say. <laughs> so what are you going to score it, Rich? I'm going to give it an eight out of 10. I can't fault you there. Yeah. Two eights for Fukushima 15. Our next review is The Stylist. 
Claire is a hairstylist who finds herself detached from her own life and envious of the lives of those around her, especially her clients. So much so that, in fact, she takes extreme measures to try on their personas. When regular client Olivia begs her to help out with her wedding hair, uh, Claire finds herself finally getting to know a real person. But will her compulsions end up ruining everything? Okay, so my intro is rather coy as to what's mm. really going on here. Um, but the film isn't so coy. It sort of lets us know within the first 10 minutes exactly what Claire is up to. Um, so, you know, woe betide anyone who ends up being Claire's uh, final um, client of the day because she might find herself alone with, with Claire and sort of um, have a few questions put her way like oh do you know anyone you, you're out of town this sort of thing and the next thing you know you've been drugged and scalped um, <laughs> so um, let's go straight over to Steve for this one yes um, well acted well shot um, but didn't grab me at all I thought it was far too slow paced and quite boring to be fair Um I think it's what, about an hour and 45. Yeah. And yep. I just think they could have cut at least half an hour out of it. Now, I think, am I right in thinking it was based on a short? Yeah. It's, yes. been, it's been straight, uh, lengthened out of a short, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you could tell. Um, I just thought there was so much extra fat that could have been trimmed off it. And it just really, really dragged for me. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but I wasn't. Wasn't impressed at all. Mm. Uh, Rich, uh, I, I I I was impressed actually. I did like it a lot. The um, I I quite like the um these films that are sympathetic portraits of you know despicable people or, or basically or, you know people you know killers. Yeah, <laughs> Un, you know just people just killing people left, right, and center, and they still manage to. I mean, some films would not be successful at it, but the um, this one I think is because I think you really feel for um, Claire, played by uh, Niara Tra- Townsend yeah. or Najara. I'm not sure I took yeah, that correctly. It's Najara. <laughs> Najara, yeah. So she she played the role in the original short film, uh, which is essentially the first act, or not first act, the first 15 minutes of the film, mm. or the first 10 minutes, is essentially what they they recreated. For the for this film, uh, so you, mm. you can watch both. And that's that's basically what it is. But they've changed certain aspects of it. Um, but yeah, um, so yeah, I really I thought that worked well, sort of drawing us into her world, her well, you know, of her loneliness. Really, you know, it's it's a portrait of of loneliness of someone who's so desperately tr- trying to put on a you know. To, to be appealing to to be to bring some you know to be attractive to people mm. uh, but still you know although she's impeccably dressed and stuff she's still not really noticed and therefore she's she's got no confidence and then she wants to essentially become other people uh, and she sort of loses herself in those sort of fantasies if this was made in the 90s this would have been single white female and yeah. the folk and the focus would have been on the victim and you know she would have been lurking in the background, and you know we we'd be like, oh, we know what she's going to do next. And so, but they flip that around. So we've got in, in the Bridget Fonda kind of role, we've got Brea Grant, who's um, 
more recently we were talking about a film she wrote and directed That's called right, yeah. 12, 12, hour 12 hour shift oh shift yeah, yeah. and uh I, I i've seen her i've seen her in other stuff uh, but i i think it might have been from dexter that i knew her from but she's really good it, this is essentially a, a film sort of counterpointing those two actresses there's other characters sort of peppered around it including um all the bridesmaids and, and whatnot but for the upcoming wedding but we're essentially having a counterpoint of these two and the film uses split screen to to emphasize that early in the film yep. uh, um yeah it's very stylishly yeah. shot i like you know uh, her room it, she's basically got a room like leatherface mm -hmm. essentially so she she sort of goes into the like storm storm cellar or, or whatever it is and uh has a has her makeup uh, makeup sort of table and everything in there that's really nicely done good good the um the way it's shot and the production design and everything is excellent i di i i did approach it with a sense of caution when i saw it was an hour and 45 minutes i thought that was a bit too long but ultimately i didn't mind it took me um with pausing stuff obviously and to you know, because when you're at home, you're a bit more distracted. Um, took me a bit longer to get through it, but uh, I was engaged. I, you know, it wasn't put, I wasn't like, oh, I'm tired. I'm going to go to sleep and finish off another day. I thought it was really interesting. And yeah, um, I think I've gabbled on enough. Uh, yeah. Mike, how did you get on with it? I, I really like this as well. Um, I, I found this to be more of a sort of character study. Yeah. Really, with um, the, the character um, sort of, of Claire, um, you, you, you capture uh, the, the film captures her a lot in mirrors. Um, um, when I sort of mentioned this uh, to the director, he said, "Yeah, well, that's because that's how she often sees herself." You know, she's all you know when she's working, she's only seeing her reflection. You know, she's constantly mm -hmm. reminded of herself. Mm -hmm. um, so, which is kind of interesting and. As you say, you know your your sympathies kind of lie with her because it, it becomes quite clear that she's suffering from this sort of obsessive obsessive compulsion to undertake these murders. Um, you know, there, there comes a point where she tries to avoid it. You know, she seals up the cellar that you know her secret lair, and it's like, right, that's it. I'm done with this. I'm going to try and be normal you know not taking responsibility of what's happened in the past but she does sort of for about five minutes of the film you know she boards up the thing and sort of like tries not to to go down there um but which reminds me of a similar thing that was done in mr brooks with oh. uh with Ke uh, kevin yeah. costner although that was that was kind of a portrait of a, a <clears throat> killer kind of thing that was leaning much more into you know genre thrills and they had that whole procedural angle or whatever in this one um she's not investigated or any you know there's nothing yeah there's, there's no, there's no knocking at the door or anything no, you there's know, nothing going on you know. you, it does make it, it that is a bit annoying because you think come on how is she she's obviously been doing this for a while how you know people are going missing and stuff how is she yeah. getting away with it how is she well, disposing the, the, of all the bodies uh, the, stuff? exactly the, the main plot put the plot the main plot hole here is how does she get rid of the bodies afterwards but yeah, yeah it, it's you can gloss over it to, to a certain point. You know, there, there is a point where her first victim from the film, um, her fiance or husband, or uh, you know, he, he does sort of turn up looking for her around town. Um, but that's about it. I think there's a sort of wanted poster or some sort of poster in the coffee shop. But um, you know, the film does sort of play with your, your sympathies because, on the one hand, you recognise the fact that 
it's a compulsion with her. She, you know, she doesn't have a hell of a lot of control over what she's doing, really. But at the same time, the people she's killing really don't deserve to die. It's not your usual sort of like serial killer film where yeah. you know, or you know, where, where you can spot the victims a mile off, or you're hoping certain people are going to become a victim. You know, th- these are just sort of everyday people who've done nothing wrong except sort of come into her sort of, you know, into her world. Um, well, one, one of the... Well, that's, what, sorry, go on, Steve. Yeah. Well, that's, that's the thing. There's one that you think she's going to mm. because she's a bitch and then she doesn't. She just <laughs> goes and does somebody else who's not <clears throat> done anything wrong to her. And it, I mean, there's just certain th- things that just re- it really drag. I mean, like... <clears throat> Um, say like the, the masturbation scene, yeah. Mm. I think that went on for about ten minutes. I'd forgotten and... about that scene actually. <laughs> you just reminded me of it. Look. Yeah. No, 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 I mean, <clears throat> so obviously not not the masturbating bit, but all mm. the build up and everything oh, yeah, yeah. like that. And no, it was I... just, mm. it was just going on far too long for me. I mean, like I say, you you, you two seen a lot more up on it than I was but Rich that, um, I, I, when I was watching that particular bit that whole sequence that, that, that Steve's mentioned there mm-hmm. it really reminded me of another film that we reviewed last year I was wondering if you, if you felt the same I can't remember it no a certain John Travolta film well I I mean the film itself in terms of it's a film about somebody who's a a killer and it's a sort of a sympathetic portrait of them did make me think of the fanatic hmm. but i think they're very they are very different because obviously oh, yeah, she definitely but, but, but uh, i did i don't remember uh was no, there a it's, it's a whole scene where, no, where, it's, it's where, where he goes, goes in the house. into the house and starts yeah, going through a stuff and stuff like that i'm thinking wow this yeah this kind of reminds me of that other film yeah, um, yeah. no no it, it didn't come that uh, to be honest no, none of the specific scenes or whatever like that came to oh. mind. But you know, make a good point. Uh, but the uh, she's, yeah, she's just so I, she's just so drawn to her, isn't she? She mm. just wants to be her and dress up like you know yeah. and become well, her. She's successful. She's got the got the fiance and all the rest of it. She's got all these friends. Yeah, it's you, you can see the appeal. Um, I, I do uh, feel like we we have seen it all before, yeah. but. I felt that there was a there was something fresh and a little bit different about this that that did engage me. There's a couple of technical things I want to mention. Um, mm. First of all, the obvious one is the makeup effects, um, mm. which are done really well. You know, I think they only really do it once at the beginning of the film. You know, the whole sort the full scalping sort of thing, but it's all done in one take. There's um, one a bit later, I think, as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, there's one which goes wrong as well. Um, but I, I was thinking about it and thinking, well, obviously it's you know it's a prosthetic on top of like the real sort of head and everything, but they've got to be able to do it in such a way that it looks realistic when it's coming off, which it did, but also realistic in a way that it's something that she could wear. You know what I mean? So it's like it, it's has to work on two fronts at the same time. I mean, obviously they probably mm-hmm. you know switched it out but you've got to be, be able to believe that this is something that she yeah she could take it off and actually sort of wear you know in a, in a little sordid basement um which, which is really impressive uh the other thing which is something which i think a lot of people will just take totally for granted but there's a scene where she's driving 
and the camera is poised outside of the back of the car, looking into her side mirror and capturing mm. her, her reflection, specifically her eyes in, in the side mirror, you know, sort of zooming in. And I, I just thought that was a really technically accomplished shot. You know, this, the whole driving bit was, was actually sort of really done. There's probably something really that most people just like not care about, but you know, it, it just really took me that scene. I thought, yeah, that's, you know, re really elevated the film for me, just that little bit. You know, um, which I thought was really good. Um, like you said earlier on, I mean, I did like the split screen mm. earlier on, and I was a bit gutted when it, you know it, it kind of went away about halfway through the film. But stylistically, mm. I understand it because they're getting more separated and you know things yeah. like. That. But I mean, said that, I thought the final shot was hilarious. That whole fit, that whole bit of the end with the yeah. With, the, and, um, and hats off to, to the guy playing the groom, mm. because the you know the, the expressions on his face as he sort of like tries to, um, you know sort of like deep sort of, what's the word sort of decompress what he's actually looking at. <laughs> yeah, you know yeah. what I mean. It's, it's just amazing. It's just like the shock of it is is just absolutely superb. So, so yeah, I, th I thought that particular moment was brilliant. And, it, you know, as the film was sort of getting closer and closer to the wedding day, I'm thinking, are they going to do it? You know, is she going to do mm. it? Or is it going to be something completely different? You know, the, yeah. um, I, I thought they nailed it. I thought, I thought it was absolutely superb. Yeah. There was another uh, element I just wanted to mention, which was the, uh, the tragedy of one of her victims who is clearly attracted to her but she doesn't see it. Um, the, the sexuality of the character is not clarified, although it's implied that she might be um, sexually attracted to um, the uh, Brea Grant character, whose name is what? Uh, remind uh, me. Olivia. 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 But, um, but there is, there's definitely, there's a, uh, the manager of the cafe, I think, mm. uh, you know, she, she's the way she's just looking at her in a couple of the scenes, and there's one where she's uh, where um, uh, she's all you know the stylist is out of sorts. She's her, her head's all over the place. She's she's got to sort of straighten herself. She's got to kill someone to straighten herself out, basically. Mm. And uh, she's just not seeing the the sort of interest and concern of yeah of somebody who's who, mm. who's almost a friend. You know, it's probably the only person she's got any sort of marginally close relationship with in the film and she just doesn't see it which i think is quite um quite interesting in the way and you know the sort of the tragic way that ends yeah absolutely so scores on the doors for the stylist i'm going to give this one another eight rich uh i will give it another eight as well and steve i'm gonna go a six okay yeah two two eights and a six for the stylist and that is on the Arrow Player. It is on the Arrow Player. And um, I've recorded a, an interview with the director. Uh, and we shall put a link to that into the footnotes as well. Our next review is Hellraiser Revelations. Uh, Nico and Steve are two best friends who inexplicably disappear on a trip to Mexico. As their parents get together on the anniversary of their disappearance, Steve's sister, Emma, discovers a videotape of the boys and a certain puzzle box. Um, okay, so apparently 
uh, reading IMDb, Dimension <clears throat> Pictures rushed this into production uh, because they were on the verge of losing their rights to that sounds familiar. characters. Yeah. Uh, this is back in two, 2011, this film uh, came out, um, but never released over here from what we uh, what I gather. No, like most of the Hellraiser sequels, uh, you know, of, of rec- most of the recent Hellraiser sequels, uh, they, they had barely any distribution in the UK. Mm. So these, these, this and its other follow-up are out on Blu-ray, uh, which is, you know, more than we, we would have expected. Absolutely, especially from Dimension. Um, but anyway, um, so I have to admit, once this one settled down a bit, I kind of liked this. It's, um, it's, it's reasonably small scale. It's all set within you know, the, um, the house belonging to the, uh, one of the families. And, uh, um, things happen, basically. Um, the, the parents are quite aware of um, what had happened to their kids, in a way or at least one, one set of parents is, um, but for reasons unknown, then it's sort of keeping, keeping shtum about it. But then uh, Emma, the daughter, finds out uh, about the videotape, and um, we learn about what happened down in Mexico. And uh, T- Or uh, Tijuana, as Tijuana. the guy irritatingly keeps saying. <laughs> and uh, and the, the puzzle box in question, which I forgot. It has got a particular name, the, hasn't it? What, the Lament Configuration? That's it, the Lament co- Configuration. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so, so even, even though it is, this is, it borrows a lot from the original Hellraiser in that... Um, so one of the boys manages to escape from the hell dimension um, and, and arrives back at home, but uh, he, he knows he's being followed by, by the Cenobites who, who want to take him back. Um, it's a bit shrieky. The acting's not particularly brilliant, and it's, you know, but it is nice and short. It doesn't sort of outstay its welcome. There are a couple of nice little nasty bits throughout. Um, so, yeah, I, I didn't mind this at all, really. I, I, I had a lot of reservations because I'd heard, oh, it's like the worst. I mean, about the time that it was being made, mm. you know, and it came out. The, the, the big controversy, the, the main controversy was Doug Bradley not oh, returning Doug. as Pinhead. Yeah. Uh, and that is, that is the film's major flaw, is that they recast it so badly. They, um, do, they, they really get Pinhead wrong in this. Um, they do. Because he, he keeps showing too much emotion on his face. Well, and just the way, I mean, he, he's not, his face and it. It's the I, wrong shape, isn't it? It's, 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 he, he just doesn't yeah. look right. I mean, if Andrew Mackay was playing Pinhead, that's mm. what that's what he would look like. Basically, so, yeah. Our friend Andrew Mackay, I mentioned yeah. from, from, from the old days. And uh, it's, it's just, it's, it's just not the right, well, he's not the right build. He's not the right look. And he's not the he's not got the right voice or anything. So it's like it just doesn't work. Unfortunately, they really messed that up. Mm. Um, but that aside, I thought this was one of the probably most the probably one of the sequels that's most faithful to the original, mm. because the the original story was taking place. You know, it was an intimate story taking place in a house. Mm. And here we've got, uh, diff- you know, lots of callbacks to the original. So the, you know, the whole 
I mean, the characters are not as interesting or anything, obviously, and it's, it's yeah. a completely different kettle of fish to how it would have been, how Clive Barker handled it himself when he made the original based on his uh, novella, The Hellbound Heart. But the, um, I'm not sure, I can't, I can't remember who's directed this. Let me just, oh, Victor Garcia, yeah, who'd yeah. already done um, Return to the House on Haunted Hill, which I liked. Hmm. And, and I he did Mirrors. That. He did Mirrors 2, which I haven't seen. Right. So he's he's got DTV sequel, you know, experience. Yeah. Um, you know, he's working with constraints. They've, they've, they've got a film that's unfortunately starts out with, with found footage, but thankfully yeah. he moves on from that with, with really unappealing characters who you just can't wait to see the back of. Mm. But the way the plot develops and the way... So it's a, it's got a flashback structure, which starts out with... Uh, the mother is looking at a camcorder uh, at the camcorder footage and then that is sort of instigating more detailed flashbacks for us as the viewers mm. and it, it sort of drops that part way through but it continues to fill in the gaps with with flashbacks and so you're moving between the, the house and what is essentially like a drawing room drama or drawing room you know detective story kind of thing uh, you know it's just all taking place in a living room um and some of the other more extravagant stuff and i think some of the visual effects and everything are really really pretty decent uh, the guy who's uh the the one of the boys who's uh been taken to hell and been ripped apart and is trying you know is being fed yeah. blood to to you know get his um to get his form back mm. in in the style of, of of the first film i thought that all looked really quite good um, yeah so based on and it's only 70 minutes long you know before the credits kick in so you know it's i i really can't fault it that much to be honest not really yeah i mean the especially you know there's various twists that, that you know lots of information that sort of comes out um sort of late into the film which, which again sort of helped tie into the to the original um there's you know we find out why the boys left in the first place, which was quite interesting as well, you know. Um, so, so yeah, there's there's a, there a lot of really good stuff going on. Um, certainly, there's a little boring. bit of the old S and M stuff, a little bit of incest, mm. which is a bit unsettling. <laughs> yeah, a lot of that sort of thing. But yeah, overall, I thought this wasn't bad. I mean, obviously, it's a lot lower budget than um, you know the, the original films. Well, possibly not the original, but. Um, some of the other entries, shall we say, you know, but um, it's very entertaining, I thought, other than the fact what? they got they got Pinhead completely wrong. So if we sort of digress slightly, what, what's your familiarity with the back catalogue of the films um, prior to this? Uh, one through to three, and that's it, mm -hmm. really. Um, okay. Yeah, I hadn't, hadn't seen anything past three, which was the Anthony Hickox one, wasn't it? Yeah, so that was basically as big as it got that was that was hellraiser 3 was the point where the weinsteins got hellraiser and the, and you know they still had it until obviously recently so the um so yeah that was trying to hellraiser 3 was big studio blockbuster horror yeah and then from then on they made the fourth one which went all pear-shaped and uh after that it was uh dcv sequels all the way yeah. and the, the um the fifth one was Directed by, uh, I think the guy who went on to do Doctor Strange, uh, Scott Derrickson, I think. Right. But anyway, but there's so, been, there's been, I this is one the set on a space station or something. And there's yeah, one, so that was number four. One was a anthology, sort of short stories. That was that was number four. All right, that was the fourth. It's one. the same one, yeah. Right. 
and then from then on they became you know much lower budget mm. stories um more in keeping with this but some of them were basically oh we've got a script let's throw a couple of references to pinhead and the, the mm. lament configuration into it and make into a Hellraiser story. This one does not feel like that. This one feels like a film that was designed to be a Hellraiser film. Yes. Which which is why I think it's one of the better sequels compared to something. There was one called Hellraiser Deader, which is all about a cult and stuff. I don't really remember much about it. Hellraiser Hellworld with Lance Henriksen was right. about some kids going to a party in you know a, a video game version of Hellraiser. Hell, this takes place in a world where Hellraiser actually exists, oh, God. you know, and or, or something. And it was all a bit, you know, these were not these are not true to mm. what the original setup was, which I think, to a degree, this does a good job of. Yeah, I mean, in fact, I actually revisited the the, the original earlier this afternoon. Um, oh right, okay. To get, to get you know a feel for it because I haven't seen it in twenty years or so. Um, yeah. But yeah, um, how did you get on with it? I I really liked it, um, and and yeah, this does apart apart from the the, the girl in it, she, she, her sort of screechy acting wasn't great, but I mean Claire Higgins is great in it, obviously. But um, yeah, special effects wise and everything, that's that's awesome. But this yeah, this does it, you know, it's, a, we've a got decent job. Uh, in terms of the cast, so just probably the most recognisable name in it is Stephen Brand who hmm. was the villain in The Scorpion King. But, apart, you know, since then, is only really done sort of B-movies and hmm. and stuff. But, uh, yeah, there's not there's not a lot of... There's not a lot of great actors in this. No. It is all about the, you know, the kills and, hmm. you know, the the, the Gru <laughs> kind hmm. of stuff. But, uh, yeah, I, I, think, I don't think I've got much more to say about it than that. Uh, I don't uh, the, oh, sorry, one last thing was yeah. I enjoyed seeing the Dimensions film logo come up at the beginning because yeah. I've always I've always loved Dimension films. It's, it's and so I really enjoyed seeing that, that because, again. Because I'm thinking, when was the last time I saw Dim- Dimension film logo come up? And I think it was where, because I think, cause, correct me if I'm wrong, Dimension films is, is an offshoot of the Weinstein, the Weinsteins, isn't it? Yeah, it was so. It was a, it was like the sister or whatever to Miramax. Yeah, so so you know things things like the you know the, the Barcelonization <laughs> of the Jet Li films and that sort of thing. Yeah, I remember, you know that they were all dimension. that would have all come out dimension. Yeah, yeah. I can't remember what was the last one I saw was. No, but they they did focus a lot on these DTV mm, yeah, sequels. Exactly. They did tons of them, whether it was. Dracula 2000, Pulse, uh, mm. The Children of the Corns, they made tons of those. <laughs> and uh, uh, yeah, the, obviously with developments in the last you know, few years, uh, it's kind of not yeah, really a thing anymore. You can see, you can see why you know, anything, anything to do with the Weinsteins has gone down the hill. Um, scores for this one, Rich? I think I'll have I'm, to give this a strong seven. Yeah, I'm happy to give it a seven as well. Yeah, so you know, point, points are lost because of um, Pinhead. Um, it's, it's totally the wrong casting. But other than that, you know, this it, is a small scale, uh, decent sort of um, horror movie. So yeah, two sevens for Hellraiser Revelations. Our next review is Hellraiser Judgment. Uh, Detective siblings Sean and David Carter are on the case to find a gruesome serial killer nicknamed the Preceptor, terrorizing the city. Uh, 
Joining forces with Detective Christine Edgerton, they dig deeper into a spiraling maze of horror that may not be of this world. Um, okay, so we, we were just singing the praises of um, Hellraiser Revelations and damning it for its uh, casting of Pinhead in that particular film. Um, my own opinion, Rich, is that this is the reverse of that film. It gets Pinhead um, much closer to the original Doug Bradley. Mm-hmm. Everything else sucks. <laughs> Um, well, I'm, I'm going think... to go into a few de- de- details in a minute, but but I, I know you did like this a bit more than I did, so I'm going to let well, you go first. Yeah, well, the thing is, the yes, I agree wholly. Uh, Paul Taylor as uh, as Pinhead in in this version is is a a vast improvement, and you know, not far wrong. I'd say I think they did a really, I think he did a really good job, and obviously the makeup and everything all, all really works very well. They've they've uh, They've augmented his voice and stuff to make him sound a bit more uh, like like the character as well. So yeah, I think they did a really good job there. the The start of the film, if it, it, it almost feels like a, a short film that's apart from what we're used to with Hellraiser, as far as I was because because we basically got a torture house sort of mm-hmm. setup and we're introduced to a character called the the, the auditor and. He, uh, they lure a, they lure a, a victim to the house and then sort of uh, interview him and torture him and, and stuff. And this is all the kind of really, really nasty, gruesome stuff that Steve would be like running a mile away from. It's, it's yep. uh, not, yeah, it's not, it's nasty. It's really, really nasty. Um, <clears throat> and you know, in that sort of really rough and you know. Uh, uncomfortable way, I think. It's, and it's to very be... grungy. So it's, grungy, it's, it's, yeah. It's like um, you know, it's it's like a really bad Nine Inch Nails video, basically. Well, the <laughs> opening, you you say that. I mean, the opening credits do try and do that seven mm. uh, opening credits kind of thing. With, with, they use like typewriter and stuff, which I think is quite cool. But it is like you know, they're they're, they're copying seven, like how many years later it was like um, 20. Over, 20, over 20 years later so or actually it would have been about 20 because this was made in 2016 mm. or released in 2016 i should say originally uh, in the united states so this we're, we're getting it for the first time now um yeah so that's but once that opening the, pre, the pre-credit sequence which goes on for about 10 minutes or so uh, and then we got the credits, and then the actual story starts. Because I was thinking, where, what's the story going to be? Where's the story going to go? And then it becomes a procedural, mm-hmm. and th- this is essentially retreading some ideas that have been used in a couple of the previous DTV sequels, which uh, you haven't seen, Mike. So there was Inferno, mm-hmm. which was the first DTV one, which was a private detective l- investigating and things all turn out very very angel heart if you if you yeah. sort of catch my drift on what i'm saying there and then hell seeker which came next was a similar kind of thing and i really liked hell seeker a lot mm. uh, and so the i quite liked that this was using that kind of familiar sequel template uh, of the detective story and the, the serial killer thing even though it's been done to death the the preceptor and the, the a couple of the kills that the the killer does uh, there's a dog that's sewn inside 
uh, a victim and stuff. I thought that was quite uh, interesting. Uh, it's made by uh, Gary J. Tunnicliffe, who's a, a visual effects guy who, who, and writer who's worked quite closely on previous entries in the series, including the uh, including uh, the aforementioned uh, revelations. So he was kind of taking the sort of step up on this one. Uh, and he's clearly having a ball with sort of throwing all his ideas in with, you know, the, the, uh, the gruesome visuals and the, the Cenobites and, you know, what they look like and what they could. And I think for the most part, they, they look quite deep. Although again, it's a film obviously shot on a very restricted budget. Mm. Uh, the, you know, we got like some of the familiar ones like chatter and some, uh, some new ones like say the auditor i don't know if how the auditor fits in i don't know how i feel about that character but there are some really interesting developments with uh, uh another uh, entity called uh joffiel and and where things come to in a in a sort of the climax with that because one of the the thematic uh curiosities of the whole hellraiser series has been if the if the if the Cenobite, if the Cenobites are in a sense celebrating uh, flesh, you know, and desire, you know, and 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 you know all that sort of stuff, if you know what I mean, uh, the then the opposite of that is you know uh, suppression and you know uh, uh, almost something, something that's almost as bad, you know. So mm. is, is, are, are there two extremes that are basically both bad, and uh, you know is that's cool. has been an interesting idea to play with and what that's what something they do with this one is that the the good forces are not quite as you know pure as you would hope they were in in their in their ways of dealing with things so i think there's some nice twists uh, little um, twists and turns and 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 sort of theological uh, ideas that are sort of brought in um Remind me when the the Lament Configuration puzzle box actually appears in this film. Uh, well, it appears at the, uh, I think, when... Right at the end of the film, the, the last 10 minutes. Well, well, no, there's a whole bunch of them sitting in the house and the, the doctor, uh, sorry, the, the detective who finds mm. himself at the house uh, sees them and says, oh, what's that? And then the auditor starts telling him about it or something. Mm. Yeah, so it that's doesn't the only really. Time actually gets used. So, well, that's fair. I mean, the, in the other ones, they're not used a huge amount. They're kind of more. But, a, but they a, they are the instigator. You solve the puzzle box, and they, you know, they you solve you open the box. We came. That's that's the uh, that's the line. You know, that, that was yeah. is in the original. It was in, it was in Revelations. Um, well, that's my fundamental problem with this mm -hmm. is that it's basically a, a, the Cenobites have set up in a small suburban house. This, this, this <laughs> is the issue I was, I was coming on to. If you think of the film Beetlejuice, okay, Beetlejuice showed uh, the banality of being in the afterlife where you're surrounded with red tape, you know, you've got to have to deal with a social worker, you've got this huge manual to read or all this sort of stuff. There's, you know, there's all these rules and regulations. This film opens with the auditor talking to Pinhead about how times are hard and then just not getting the, you know, the, the, um, the victims they used to. So now they're actually going out and send, sending invitations to potential um, victims to be audited 
So th- this is why we get this guy at the beginning. He gets sent. Yeah, I don't like any of that. It's honestly, bullshit. Um, like you know, and, and the whole thing, you know, you mentioned this thing about um, Joffiel, this sort of kind of like angel sort of figure, or, you know, it's portrayed to be a sort of angel sort of figure. And it's like, it's like the office. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's this backroom sort of bickering, you know, sort of like people posturing in, in, in the office, or, you know, office politics, all that sort of bollocks. Um, and it just sort of takes a lot of the menace out of the the whole thing with the Cenobites and everything. I suppose. I mean, yeah, I, th- I quite like your analogy. I mean, there is one point where the auditor goes, oh, better go and get the boss. And yeah, <laughs> so Goes and finds Pinhead. <laughs> it's, it's, it's silly. It's like, going to see really? the manager. <laughs> but um, the, the, the other thing that really irked me is at the end, there's a particular character who gets sort of, you know, pulled apart with chains and they say Jesus wept as uh, you know just we'll do it which is a callback right to the first film exactly what Frank says when he gets pulled apart at the end but I'm looking at that thinking there is no reason on earth why you would happen to say the same words as that guy and it it annoyed me and it reminded me of the Han Solo film where they try to turn dialogue from Star Wars into catchphrases that he's always had. Mm-hmm. So like in, in Han Solo, it's the, I'm fine, we're fine. Yeah, everyone's, everything's fine. How are you? You know, that bit. It's thinking, yeah, that's something he came up with on the spot in Star Wars. But now you've just turned it into that thing he says. You know, it's it's like Predator, the Predator sequels, or especially the Aliens versus Predator Requiem, where they're using the, the Predator music from the jungle. You're in, the, you're in the suburbs and you're still using jungle music to say, well, yeah, because it's a Predator film. It's like you're, <laughs> you're trying so hard to sort of join these things together to sort of say, yeah, look, it's a franchise. You know, this is a callback to the original or all that sort of shit. You know, it's like in the fourth Pirates of the Caribbean film where suddenly they're trying to give Captain Jack Sparrow's hat a backstory. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, that's how he got his hat. How about that? It's like, fuck off. I heard about so, that. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that scene at the end really, really irked me. I'm thinking, no, 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 no. You've just taken me out of the film completely. Um, it, it wasn't doing wonders for me anyway, as you probably gathered. <laughs> okay, without, without spoiling the ending, the, mm-hmm. like the very ending, mm-hmm. how, how did you feel about that like very last... Uh, scene the fate of oh, yeah, one of the key yeah, characters that was, that that was kind of interesting I, I, I will give them that yeah um and that could sort of go full circle as well couldn't it because yeah, i thought well that acts that's quite a nice if this is the last one that, yeah. that acts as a quite nice yeah know, if, if that's the sort of haha, final nail in the coffin kind of thing then <laughs> um yeah I, I suppose now they're sort of open you know the Paved the way to just do a big budget reboot. Yeah, I think I've been, tr- I've been trying to do that for a, a long actually. time, haven't they? But yeah, they have actually. You're I'm sure they will eventually. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think with the way things have gone, uh, I, I don't think we're going to see any more DTV sequels in this iteration. Mm-hmm. I think it, I think it will probably change. But the yeah, I understand exactly what you're saying. It's um, uh, say the whole setting up in a house. 
and luring people in. It's just it it's just doesn't hold muster. It try to kind of make they try want to try and make this kind of haunted house, Freddy Krueger's house kind of mm. thing. Just it's it's a bad it's a bad turn of events. The detective story kind of element and everything I'm absolutely fine with. Yeah, that was uh, Oh, I was gonna. I was gonna mention something else. Although about. brothers on the same case, yeah. How does that happen? That's bizarre, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. You got that bit at the end as well with the two Mormons who turn up. You know. Oh, you did. I oh, see. I was wondering whether you would have stuck around for the post credits. <laughs> I've, I've learned my lesson. I have <laughs> scanned through the credits to make sure there's anything else. But, um, <laughs> yeah, no, it was it was bizarre. Uh, but yeah, so scores on the doors for this one, Rich. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna drop down to a six on this one. Mm. I didn't like the Gru and you know the house thing and everything and the, the detective yeah. story is something I've seen before. So there's not a lot of points for originality or anything. It was fine and you know I, I liked a couple of the themes that it brought up. The the visuals in it. I mean the whole thing with you know the the, the trial and the, you know the um, you know this guy comes and eats the the confession with the children's tears and then pukes it up into some <laughs> other machine. And then there's these That's three, crazy stuff. These three naked women with skinless faces do something with it to sort of say whether he's guilty or not. Yeah, they that's, put their hands in the that's right, vomit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's weird. The, yeah. So all that is really grotesque. Um, it reminded me of this Russian film that I covered uh, on my other website called Steepless Beauty um, that has similar style sort of imagery all the way through and there's a whole bit with like where she has to wear this sort of VR helmet um, and she just fed this imagery constantly for like hours at a time and it is, it's gruesome you know even though it's, not, it's like a Terry Jones cartoon but it, it's still absolutely gruesome so yeah bizarre so I'm giving this a five out of 10. Um, I, I think I've ranted enough to sort of explain why it gets a five out of 10 for me. So yeah, a five and a six for Hellraiser Judgment. Um, your mileage may vary. Our next review is Shadowland. When a team of bodyguards are betrayed and ambushed in the desolate part of Scotland, they have to give, get their package, a US ambassador and his family, to safety. They're able to make it to a closed army facility, which may still hold some deadly secrets. Oh my God, guys, this is a pile of shit. Absolutely. <laughs> I, oh my God, this was, this was painful. Um, it really was. Uh, I, I've got no real issue with the story as such, but the direction, the editing, the photography, um, the structure, the structure, the the, the, promises, everything in this. Um, unfortunately, it just does not work at all. Um, where to begin? Okay, let's start. Is it a we... bit? Is it a bit undecided about what it's trying to do? Do you think? Yes, yes. I think I think it really is. Um, you know, does it want to be a zombie film? Does it want to be a um, you know guy created in a mat lab film? Uh, it, it, it's so confusing as to what's really going on. Um, mm-hmm. It's like there's a long setup, 
Mm. You know, with those long opening yeah. scenes, which don't really go anywhere. They kind of just go, yeah, and just so, move on. So, to the, the so we thing. got the, you know, the film starts with this guy picking up a pregnant woman hitchhiking. Um, and it turns out that he's working at this military base and she's also working at the military base, but gone AWOL because she's pregnant. Uh, I'll just step in there and just say it takes a really long time to get that information. Oh, yeah. It takes ages <laughs> yeah. Oh, to get yeah. it. And then, <laughs> and then it, it just drops that storyline altogether. And then we find out, I don't know, two-thirds of the way into the film that that actually happened previously. That was like in a different timeline altogether. Um, you know, that's not sort of current. That's, that's past events. And then yes. we sort of meet, meet other characters who sort of knew them or something. I, I really don't know. But um, everything about this, I, I think there's one scene I, I actually did quite like, and that's when the gobby Scottish guy gets killed in the at what looks like an alleyway because suddenly the lighting's a lot different, you know, and it's a different shot. But even that looks like it's shot like a music video. Yeah, the, the yeah. Marty Power wannabe. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. I, I, guys, help me out here. Um, Rich... I, I, <laughs> no, Steve, 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 what's Steve got to say? I agree with you completely, Mike. I thought it was terrible. Um, you don't know what's going on at the time. I mean, there's one part where someone, I think they get dragged through a window by mm. this supposed creature. I wasn't even sure what had happened because it doesn't show anything. Yeah. Um, I know, obviously, the budget is low, but it's, it's just so... Half it's not shown, you don't... You've no idea where you're up to. You've no idea what's going on. Mm. And like you say, the opening bit is referenced again about 45 minutes into the film. And you think, oh, right. Oh, okay, so that's previously what's gone on. Mm. And then there's one bit which was really, really nasty, which I really didn't think... It was just there to show it... At, uh, that he changed and he was a it's, bastard, basically. Yeah, I know the bit you mean. Yeah, I know the bit you mean as well. Yeah, I totally agree. And I was just like, mm, that really wasn't needed as far as I'm concerned. I'm you don't know what. Yeah, I am actually. Um, you don't know what's supposedly haunting them. Mm. Because you see, like, the bundle, the, the assassination attempts and all that lot. Mm. And one person doesn't make it. But as, as it's cutting away, you just see that person sit up. Mm. Well, there's no it, reference made to what's happening. You just think, well, is that the... Is that the threat or yeah. is it... You, you just don't know. You've, got, you've no idea what's going on. Yeah, it, it and, plays its cards way too close to its chest and doesn't allow yeah. us to peek in at all. Yeah, uh, yeah we, we get that old guy gives some, you know, he, he does a lot of exposition dump late, you know, later on. Did you recognise him? Um, yes. Well, not at first. Not at first. Well, so you got about 20 minutes later. Mm. And then you kind of realise who it's supposed to be. Yeah. But, um, the but I, meant, I meant the actor, yeah. Oh. I, is, it, is he somebody oh. we've met? Yes, Tony yeah. Greengrass, who's, uh, I think he's he acted as uh, one of the producers on... The dead end. The dead end one. That's right. Yeah. Films. Yeah. So, so yeah, the, the, that was that was interesting. Um, the soundtrack, I thought, it, even though it doesn't quite fit what we're seeing, 
I thought the no, music it didn't at all. Was you know, it was, it was a decent soundtrack, but it doesn't fit the film. You know, no. um, it it really felt. I, I don't know the director at all, but you know, it felt like his background was in music videos, or, or the editor's background is in music videos, because that, that's what we got. Sort of that style of editing um, mm. and, and direction at some point. You know, when when stuff's supposed to be happening. It was just so bizarre. Um, it looks like his background is in like location management and mm. art department, and and as a as a runner, uh, and uh, on train spotting two and stuff like that, sort of bits and pieces kind of jobs mm. in film, and uh, rather than anything too much on the creative side. Mm. So yeah. this is clearly like a a big project, big sort of a big move forward for him because i think he's uh, simon k he's like writer and director of it mm. Mm. um and it's i think i think it is ambitious i mean there's a lot going on a lot of bits that they've thrown it but again it's like one of those it is kind of like like that you know pet project thing you just you, you, this is your shot and you just got so many ideas and you kind of throw them all in and i wasn't sure whether it was intentionally trying to be uh experiment or an unsettling and, and and stuff because the 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 film opens with credits that play out of conventional sequence which is something that drives me mad hmm. but i did wonder was it done to intentionally unsettle <laughs> i don't know and then you know the the scenes play out in quite an unsettling fashion as well you know they're, they're quite you know slow and um, yeah uh, mm unsettling there's there's, a, there's an emphasis on atmosphere let's say and some of the visuals are quite experimental as well and the the way you know they introduce the characters and these plot elements and stuff and you're constantly wrong-footed and you know uncertain as to what's happening what's what's going on in the woods and and stuff like that and that, so i think there is some intention there i just don't think it's executed per- well, no, it's, it's, <laughs> unfortunately, no, I mean not. the guy who's the, the guy who's introduced as what seems to be like the romantic comedy lead kind of character mm. when he when he first starts, you know, sort of innocent, sort of geeky guy. His his eyes are just so huge, <laughs> and he's just it's just I don't know why he's like looking like that all the time, and uh, yeah, he's, I don't I don't know if that, again is that supposed to signify to us that you know he's slightly unhinged that, that, that he's he's not going to end mm. up being sort of the heroic character in the story the 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 poster has this girl on it holding a gun yeah but she's a supporting mm. character she's she's not yeah. she doesn't play a huge role in it so to sell it as like a an Do you know action why? kind of thing Do you know why? because why? she was one of the leads in the haunting of Bly manor was she right. yeah Oh, okay. Is that the is that the Netflix series? Yeah. Oh, that's okay. that's the blonde girl, the, the blonde babysitter. Okay, so the film is being sold on. Yeah. Her being right. sort of recognizable mm-hmm. character, or whatever, and she is. The, she's am I right? She's the one who. She's the one who they meet and that they talk to in the bar earlier, and she's yeah. one yeah. of the yeah. uh, the hostage sort of extraction mm-hmm. team where it all goes wrong in the in that sort of woodland yeah, exactly. shootout. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah, there's a lot thrown into it. There's a couple of things like, you know, the older version of the scientist character who we've met from the beginning, who's Tony Greengrass. He's got all this lights and stuff around him and whatever the, the, the evil threat is, is it can be contained or repelled by light. But at the end of the film, 
there's stuff happening in daylight. So I was like, what, yep. what's going on there? I mean, that, that sort of contradicts it, doesn't it? And then yep. oh, there was one thing, there was a continuity error where when a chase it like starts, it's like dark, mm-hmm. and then it's daylight, and then it goes dark again. It's dark again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they, they, they forgot they'd shot day for night or something. <laughs> Which yeah, just made it go like a planned night from outer space kind of feel. To one, one thing I thought did work um, is, you, you mentioned the atmosphere. Uh, it, it does start off with this nice sort of bit of text sort of saying, you know, people keep going missing in the Scotland because it's, you know, so fast and, uh, so you know, won't meet anyone for miles on the roads. Bit of a wrong turn yeah, kind of thing. That sort of thing. And then at the end, you've got this sort of montage of sort of sort of viral video clips and things of people going missing there and stuff. And But then you've got this stupid fucking news report, which is talk, talking about, oh, yeah, people go missing all the time. And it says on the bottom, you know, People gone missing in Dartmoor National Forest. Mm. The yeah. film's set in fucking Scotland. Oh, uh, you missed the point. You missed the point. Missed the point? Tell me the point. The point is that it's happening everywhere. <gasps> uh, uh. No, don't buy it. I think I think. <laughs> 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 no. yeah. it's something it's something like organic from like the, the in that's in the woods. It's like some ancient sort of uh, presence or something. God. But again, it's not. It's I not didn't really get that. Yeah. I didn't get that. I literally got it's the army, you know, experimenting yeah, experiment on whatever it's all gone wrong. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, in Scotland, not Dartmoor. To be fair, the thing that looked, I thought the, the actual like the experiment room looked, mm. looked quite good, and but it, it just seemed like they'd used all the budget on the past. Yeah, still like on, on, <laughs> on the strip. The past scenes, if you know what I mean, the scenes mm. set in the past, and the present day ones, just like shit, we better cobble this together because we've run out of budget. In a way, it was just, I don't know, just very, very amateurly done. I think it's a, it's very much a micro budget film, and I think that, you know the way it starts out with these real locations, like these real pubs and whatever that. Just look horrible, didn't they? You wouldn't you wouldn't want to go in them. It's like the film goes, Oh, look, they shot at our pub or something. <laughs> it's, like, it's like no, I well, wouldn't be too proud about that. <laughs> the film, you know, budget wise, I think the film this comes that this reminds me of is AUX. Um, but AUX is a much better film. And both are put out by evolutionary films. They are both put up by evolutionary films. And AUX is available. Well, yeah, AUX is available on Prime, I think, at the moment. Yeah, I am but, curious uh, to check that one out. That's got John Reese Davis. It does, yeah. Playing play a very strange, you know, very, very against type, I think. But it has okay. got some likable leads in that. And, you know, the action is actually sort of shot in a competent manner. Um, unfortunately, this, you know, if it was shot in a competent manner, it wasn't edited to show that. Um, which is a real disappointment, and they didn't have, yeah, you know, didn't have the money for the sound effects for the guns, unfortunately. Mm. Just yeah, so, you know, so basically just got the normal sort of cap noise. So. Yeah, I feel I feel really bad that we're sort of I know, digging I, into I this do. film. I, so I, I feel like we're shitting on something really, like a cow. They're really know, trying. I, I mean, and it's all over in seventy minutes. It's very short. Um, but it's, yeah, it's just it's it's got it, kind of the feel of a. I mean, in terms of the budget and everything, it's, it reminds me of like a lot of the uh, some of the old DTV Doctor Who spin-off kind of productions. Mm. You know, like fan film kind of, you know, lower end kind of fan film. 
yeah. stuff rather than the sort of high-end stuff we've been a talking about. A lot of people put a lot recently. of blood, work, blood work, sweat into it. They do, yeah. And I'm sure and, people worked really hard on this. Yeah. It's, and and, and it's just, I, I do feel bad <laughs> having, you know, having dissed it as badly as we have. But, you know, and I, I really didn't want to sort of start off saying it was shit. You know, I wanted to be a bit more sort of constructive, but I didn't hate it. I wasn't. I wasn't. I. I, I saw that it was flawed, hmm. and I was trying to overcome those and uh, that feeling and that. But for the most part, I just didn't really enjoy it that much. It, it's not like I've got yeah. anything hugely yeah. against it or or whatever. It, you know, there are. So I've highlighted some particular criticisms that I've got, but it's more kind of. Nah, kind of feeling yeah. rather than rather than you've stolen an hour of my life you know quite it's always quite interesting to see what yeah. a director is able to come up with and you know i like the i like the mix you know they were trying to make a film in scotland but they've got characters from all sorts of different areas and mm-hmm. it was you know it brought in some ideas and stuff it just it, it, there's clearly no money to show yeah. or develop any of that i just as well i think it's like they've used the first draft of the script you know, I don't think, I think the script could have had a decent polish and then it, you know, could have been better. But yeah, it's like you say, it's something, you know, sometimes you can overlook the flaws, but to me, there's just too many in this. I agree. So let's put it out of this misery, guys. What are we going to score it? Steve? Uh, a four. Rich? I'll give it a five. I'm going to join Steve on a four. Two fours and a five for Shadowland. Our short shot this week is decommissioned. On the International Space Station, a lone astronaut spots what appears to be a decommissioned spacesuit, which should have burned up in re-entry years ago. Um, this is very short. This, this is a perfect little sort of ghost story this is you know around the mm. campfire kind of kind of thing um incredibly technically accomplished i think um so literally you know we got this great sort of little preamble at the beginning about um a spacesuit which has been decommissioned and they decide instead of like chucking it back to earth they'll float it out into space as a satellite and they sort of put loads of ham radio antennas and things on it which um, was a real thing that they actually a real did. thing yeah and, and people's um you know, pre-recorded messages and things and put that out into space for people to sort of tune into. Um, so it's called Space, no, SuitSat, I believe. SuitSat, yeah. SuitSat. Mm-hmm. And the idea is it'll float around the other about for about three months and then eventually, you know, it, its orbit would um, erode and it will sort of decay, I mean, and it'll sort of fall back to Earth. Brilliant setup. Then we've got this astronaut who's there and he's you know taking photographs from uh, the observation deck on the space station and he spots this tiny speck in the distance and when he sort of looks a bit closer it looks like it's the spacesuit and he starts getting um sort of his audio coming through the ham radio set that which is in the thing um yeah so I, you know this this looks mega budget for what it was you know it's mm. a four minute thing but they do such a good job of the actual you know the setting and you know, the effect of him floating you know, so to, to get the um, sort of zero gravity effect, I thought it was absolutely superb. Um, Steve? Yeah, I agree with you. I thought it was very well done. Um, the effects were amazing. Nice, simple, short, 
wham bam, thank you, ma'am. Done dusted. Really effective. Um, yeah, it, it, was, it was enjoyable for what it was. <clears throat> Rich? Yeah, it's, uh, yeah I, I agree. It's excellent. It's got some interesting sort of backstory of uh, it was part of a competition, I think, of to, to that they could make a film using this uh, software or uh, however it's termed or whatever, but it's called the Unreal Engine. Uh, I think they use it for video games and stuff. But yeah. the the idea was to sort of yeah. to show off what this technology can do. Now the film itself looks like it was shot in zero G, but it wasn't. It was you know it's it's all compute you know computer assisted and you know they they shot the there's a little like one minute making of that's on Vimeo, and they they shot in you know uh, mocap kind of thing, uh, quite you know just sort of close to the ground, and then they've they you know done all the technical stuff and just made it look like he's floating as far as i can tell uh, it's very effective the, the the story is it's very twilight zone uh, it's, it's like a short twilight zone story almost like the um william shatner seeing the the monster yeah. on the wing of the plane yeah. the um it's a one man one set you know a mat, uh, one actor one setting kind of things kept very simple There's, he talks to a couple uh, or talks to someone on the radio um, but that's about it. Yeah, the, it's there's not much to, more to it than that because it's, it's kind of like they set it up. But it had, mm. you know, it's a proper little film, beginning, middle, end. It's got the you know the, the setup, the sort of sense of unease, the great music, you know, complementing it, the, the the unease of the the character who's all alone. You know, mm. it's a, like like Mike, you were saying, like you know, it's that ghost story thing, but it's in space. It's like almost like. A, you know, Event Horizon and stuff like yeah. that. You know, yeah, that kind of right. um, the, the the weird supernatural encounter that's happening. And uh, yeah, it's great. It's uh, really, really good. So it, with credits, it's it's six minutes long. You know, it's definitely worth looking up. Uh, and uh, uh, yeah, so, uh, made by a filmmaker called Josh Tanner. It's actually an Australian film. Uh, you though you wouldn't know it, but uh, it's uh, it was. Uh, yeah, Josh Tanner's a, an Australian filmmaker. Has done a huge amount of different jobs in movies, such as uh, do you remember the there was a film called Triangle by mm. uh, Christopher Smith. Chris, yeah, Christopher Smith. He, he had like a little job, he like camera and he like electrical department or something on that, and Iron mm. Sky. And he's done various other movies, but he's also quite an accomplished short filmmaker, uh, and he's written and directed several shorts prior to this. Um, so yeah, clearly. Yeah, a talented individual and probably uh, somebody who needs to be given a bit more of a budget and, and, a, and a bit more scale to work on. Mm. It's, it's funny, you know, looking at this, you, know, you think back to like Apollo 13 and, and everyone's like, oh, how do you film all that? They go, oh, we, we use the uh, Air Force's vomit comet to sort of, you know, go up and, you know, affect zero G and do all that sort of stuff. And they think, well, yeah. Yeah, nowadays you don't have to do all that. You, know, you don't have to go yeah. to such extremes. Um, that's what I did with Tom Cruise and the Mummy, didn't they? they, they you, yeah, that's the, right, they, yeah. 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 Anyway. yeah we just look at something like gra Gravity, you know, they didn't. Mm. That was all CG, even the suits and everything, mainly. Yeah. Yeah. It's really cool. Yeah. But that, that was obviously <laughs> on a much bigger budget. You know, this is oh yeah, sort of, sort of scale, <laughs> yeah, well scaled down, but but at the same time effective. I always say, you know, the, the best special effects are the ones that you don't realise are special effects. Mm. You know, so, but this has definitely got that. How do they do that kind of feel to it? 
but it's, it is such a nice sort of short little story, you know, um, sort of campfire ghost story kind of thing. Um, just sort of builds and builds and builds, and then wham, you know, you got you got to pay off, and then that's it. Game over, you know, move yep. on to the next story. But, um, yeah, so so we'll put the um, the link to this in the footnotes, like we usually do with the shorts. So check it out. It's a Our DTV throwback this week is Back to Even. When an expert counterfeiter gets into debt with a dangerous bookie who's on the run from the mob, the only way he can settle his debt is to join forces with him in a counterfeit operation. So, um, once again, Rich, you pull out a film I've never heard of. It's a film I'd never heard of either. (laughs) All right. So this, this is the wonders. We've talked about the wonders of Amazon Prime and, and their sort of back catalogue of uh, weird and wonderful films that we like to cover. Um, so this has got a sort of middle-aged Michael Parry, should we say? Um, this, uh, when was this film? 96, I think? Yeah, it came out uh, in 97. 97 and then some areas 98, I think. But 97 is sort of when yeah. it's date stamped. So... All the way through this film, I'm watching this. I'm thinking, when's Lorenzo Lamas going to turn up? Because <laughs> I just did not recognise him at all. You know, because uh, he's, he's got, playing a geek. He's playing this sort of geeky guy with glasses. You know, he's wearing clothes. <laughs> you know, they work really hard at trying to cover up his muscles. They really do. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, make him sort of seem like this sort of the sort of weaker character. Um, this is this is a very strange film. You know, it, it's it's a weird sort of rambling sort of crime drama with a lot of melodrama thrown in. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, it, it's an interesting one, but not the sort of thing we've normally covered in this section, I think. So, Rich, over to you. What did you make of this? Yeah, I think that it's it's interesting to, you know, I've, I've not seen a huge amount of Michael Parry or Len, Lorenzo Lamas movies. Mm. So... I was quite interested to see what it would be like. This is actually the second film these two guys made together. Uh, they did one at the beginning of the 90s called Killing Streets, which I haven't seen either. Mm. Um, but that, I think that's more of a typical action movie. This one, they've tried to sell it as an action movie or as a thriller, mm. but it's really a drama. Yeah. As you yeah. said, it's like a crime drama. Uh, it's about Lorenzo Lamas' character's rela- relationship with his dad and, you know, the, the, and, you know things that happen there. The, the the synopsis that you know you mentioned at the beginning. It's and I know we've t- sort of looked at that from IMDb or whatever, but I don't think that co- that really it's correctly represents no, the film at all. Yeah, it's it, it doesn't even the counterfeit angle comes in quite late. It's not mm. even he, he's he works at a printer's. You know, it's quite a you know he's regular working stiff kind of thing. There's a whole, but there's a whole. There's a whole bromance kind of dimension to the film, which is quite interesting. And so you got the it's that old, you know, we grew up together. Mm. Uh, I, mm. I'm I'm sort of like doing things straight, and the other one's so now Michael Parre is playing the the bad guy, the you know the bookie character. You know, he could play this character in his sleep. He, he's just he, he's great at these kind of tough, menacing role you know characters uh, i think he, he uh, and lorenzo lamas is more challenging himself to sort of not be the not be the actiony guy and uh, try to downplay or underplay 
uh, his character, which is quite because there could have been a point where he goes like, "I've had enough," and he's just yeah. raw. <laughs> but he doesn't. <laughs> but he no, it's it's got he's trying to come up with a you know uh, a practical sort of solution. So he comes up with this idea of, "Okay, you know, I know where they've got access. They've got, we've got this plate. Yeah. If we can get the other plate, we can, uh, you know." create the you yeah. know do do a job and, and sort of uh, square each other out and get back to even obviously uh, also called the bet the other title of the film mm. is the bet the um but the uh, it's it's about the relationships between these men it's about his relationship with his father and uh michael parry has got his scenes where he talks about the different relationship he had with his father and then it's sort of that they're they're opposites and mm. At the end of the, the, something really interesting happens at the end, whereas they're they're essentially trying to kill each other, but things become a little bit more amicable. <laughs> it, it doesn't feel earned though that, yeah. that bit at the end. It really doesn't feel earned, you know, considering how hard, you know, for for all that the you know Michael Perry's character sort of goes, oh, you know, we you know remember that time we did this and all that sort of stuff, you know, sort of reminiscing, you know, he he has no qualms about killing off. Lorenzo at all you know, no. At oh no not at all no, no. Oh, no, no. so, so it, it just feel, felt weird when you when he suddenly he's sort of like you know sort of playing that card at the end and it's like you haven't earned this at all you know he's like yeah. kicking him out of the I, car and rolling him into a ditch and just driving no. off I do agree. I do. I do think that yeah. what they've tried to do doesn't work. Mm. But it, I think it's interesting what they tried to do there. Yeah, they, they yeah. need a bit more embellishment, I think. But I tell you what, it reminded me of the, what the sort of relationship they're trying to go for is the Kurt Russell slash Mel Gibson um, relationship in um, Tequila Sunrise. Mm. Where, you know, yeah, which is a film they, I'm not really that familiar with. Well, it's been ages since I've seen it, but basically you've got Kurt Russell, who's, who's a cop, and Mel Gibson, who's like a drug dealer. Or, mm-hmm. you know, or, or, and, but they, they knew each other since childhood sort of thing, you know. Um, so so they've, got, they've got this sort of relationship, you know, and even sort of Russell was like, okay, yeah, we're mates and everything, but if, if I catch you, you're going to jail sort of thing. But, um, yeah, they, they were trying to sort of play it something like that, but I think it needed a bit more... Or, or a, le- a little less antagonism for Michael Perry's character to make it work, to, you know, to yeah. make him a bit more likable. But I don't know. Yeah, but you know, a lot of it does work. Um, there's that scene, of, you know, where um, the, the accident in the printing. Oh, that's horrendous! Oh, God. Um, oh, Jesus Christ! Yeah, that was that was pretty bad. And it was that guy's fault, wasn't it? The guy who's trying to make the bet. It, it was kind of his fault because he, he should have been there with him at the time you know, and he's like yeah. you know making this stupid bet and then he makes you know an even stupider bet <laughs> so it's like yeah okay but um yeah no it has those interesting moments i have to say there's a whole oh, bit where, where, got... go on. no no you go i'm sorry i was gonna say there's that whole se- sequence where my you know we see sort of michael Perry's sort of um mo where he um he sneaks into that hotel room to get the guy's key Puts a bomb in their car, comes back, you know, puts the key back, you know, all very sort of stealthy like sort of thing, which is a sort of kind of interesting because because you know for a lot of that I'm thinking what is he actually up to here? You know, it's it, it very bizarre, <laughs> yeah. but it all does pay out quite quite nicely. So yeah. No, I must admit I thought it was quite enjoyable. It's very different from what I was expecting. Mm. You know, like you say, mm. I was expecting a bit more. 
balls action. to the wall action, and, yeah. it, and it's and it's not. It really isn't. Hmm. It is more like like you say, like a bromance about masculinity. You know, his relationship with his father, his relationship with the Bucky, and it was it was interesting. It wasn't like you say, Mike. I think the ending was a bit didn't pay off like it should have done. Um, it needed a bit more, I think, to make that to make that work because yeah. you know he's gone after him again. And it's also also the thing with the girlfriend, isn't it? You know, they got the yeah, which is really weird. Yeah, cause didn't she grow up with him as well? I think. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Oh, because she, she was, yeah, because there's one point where Michael Perry goes like, well, she was your girlfriend, but when she said she was going home, she was actually coming to me. Yeah. So she was essentially seeing yeah. both of them. Mm. So again, they sort of put this woman in between the two of them. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Do we, do okay. We, the, the, we don't no. Well, there was one other no. thing I wanted to mention, and that was the missing arm that's not really missing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's like he's honestly, walking around. It's like, oh come on! <laughs> it's like it's so obviously tough. You're holding it close to yourself. It's like it's a, you. There's no way your body would be that shape. <laughs> yeah, they're sort of putting it. Yeah, you know, it makes him walk funny, basically. Isn't it? <laughs> no, not the best. But yeah, it's it's an enjoyable one. Um, it's it's not what you expect at all. You know, um, it does sort of go more into the relationships, as we said, uh, than any sort of real action. But you know, it has its has its sort of moments, definitely. It's, and it's uh, the only film I think you'll see with Lorenzo Lamas with flip up glasses. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. No, he does. He does all right in this, I think. Yeah, but you know, it's he is cast totally against type. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that, good on him for trying something different. Yeah, it does make it interesting. I think it's it's definitely. It's probably more for completists of, of mm. Harry or Lamas than you know uh, regular viewing. You know, I don't think there's mm. there's much to reward the casual viewer here. But I think if you, yeah. especially if you like Michael Paré, I think I think it's uh, well worth seeing because he's yeah. he's always good value. I think. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so that is uh, back to even. And that's the end of our show. Um, don't forget to check out our Facebook and Twitter pages where you'll find uh, the DTV chart and also news about upcoming releases. Uh, thanks to Rich and Steve for joining me for this episode. No problem. No problem at all. Jolly good. Uh, we'll put the, um, the link to the short decommissioned into the footnotes and the trailers for the other films. So do check them out. Thank you for listening and tune in next time. And don't forget to tune into DTV Digest Short Shots. Thank you for listening to the DTV Digest. Let us know your thoughts in the comments and tune in again next time.